about it. It's like when you talk about, I was just having this discussion this week, actually, uh, the term Catholic, and I'm not knocking the Catholic Church, so don't, don't misunderstand me, but somebody had talked about, like, well, you know, that they are Catholic. I was like, okay. And I said, you know, I went to church when I was a kid. They're in their 60s. They hadn't been back, but they're Catholic. How does that work? I mean, are you born to it? I mean, how's that? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the mindset that we have in the church in America today. You go to the Philippines. This is a perfect example. Their world revolves around the meeting together, whether it be at a building, at a house, wherever it is. Same in El Salvador. Like, the church is the forefront of their existence. Now, you could say that it's because they have nothing else going on in their life. And my question would be, why is that a bad thing? I mean, think about that for a moment. Why is it such a bad thing that the only thing they have to look forward to on a daily basis is the gathering together of the saints to pray and worship God, to get into the Word, to learn? Why is that a negative? And that's the way we say it. And we don't even think about what we mean when we say it. That's not a bad thing. You see, God has given us the ability. What happens is we begin to take all the things that God has given us for granted. We do it with individuals, we do it with stuff. I mean, let's admit it, here in America today, we got it pretty good. I don't care how bad you think you got it, you got it pretty good. Do you know in India, they don't use toilet paper? Can I get an amen for America? God bless capitalism. That's all I'm saying. Like, There are things that we just take for granted. Do you know when you go to other parts of the world, this is a tragedy. They don't have Diet Coke. They have Coke Light. It's not the same. They say it's the same. It's not the same. We know. First thing I do when I land at an airport in America, I find a cheeseburger and a Diet Coke. It's what Jesus would do. I'm looking. Because it's like, man, you get over there, you take things for granted. When I was in the Philippines... And I love the time there. It's a beautiful country, incredible people. They love the Lord. There's two things wrong with the Philippines, okay? They need air conditioning desperately, okay? They need it in all their churches. They, uh, they had uh, fans going, which is a joke, because it's like, hey, let's just blow hot air around. But, you know, I'm in jeans and a, a shirt like this. I'm basically dressed like this. It's about 8 million degrees. I felt like I'd been shot with a fire hose. And as soon as the service is over, what do people want to do? Hug and take pictures. What is wrong with you? I can smell me. I know you can smell me. Okay? This is not good. That was problem number one. Problem number two is everywhere you went, there were bugs. And they were big bugs. And they ate things. Like, I watched a colony of ants come into the apartment in which I was staying at, create a line all the way across the walls, and they were working their way down to the ground to get a grasshopper or something like a grasshopper. I don't know if it was a grasshopper. I watched it. This was my entertainment. You know? I didn't have one. You know? I showed up the first night. All I want to do is take a shower. Guess what? They turn the water off at different times of the day. They keep buckets. Like, this is crazy. We take stuff for granted, but think about that. We do it with God, too, all the time. We take our salvation for granted. Like, man, I'm good. I can kind of do whatever I want because His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient for me. He's given me all that I need. And it's like, wait a minute. When we got born again, He gave us a job. The first thing He said to Adam before He ever gave him a family, He gave him a job. He said, listen, I got some work for you to do. It wasn't like this socialist paradise where you just kind of do whatever and it's utopia and everything's handed to you. Hey, 
Go, subdue the ground. Move on. But we don't do that here. You go to the Philippines, what do they do? They are constantly out evangelizing. Go to El Salvador every Sunday after church. What do they do? They're going to the neighborhoods and talking to people. What do we do? We go to the buffet, baby. We're Americans. Right? We have a different mindset. What do we look forward to on Sunday afternoons? Naps. And football. It's a 50-50 crowd here. I knew I'd get them both. I mean... That's the thing, is that we are looking forward to those aspects in our lives, and yet, for them, their life revolves around the work of the ministry. But we as a church today have lost that. And you know why we're powerless? It's because we like all that other stuff, and we just want to sprinkle a little Jesus into it. We don't stand up when we need to stand up. We quickly bow down and cower when things get tough. We run away when things get ugly. We don't want to go and do street ministry because, my goodness, have you seen them people? I mean, there are so many things that we could be doing that we don't. And I hope this is hitting home with you as well as it does me. Because I look at every day as an opportunity. And I look at opportunities to share the gospel when I'm out doing my life. But am I intentionally going out with my sole purpose to be to share the gospel in that day? And I can tell you for a fact, the answer is no. There are times when the Lord leads me to go talk to somebody, and I'll go and do that. And there are times every day I'm out there, and if somebody brings up to me, I'm looking to an opportunity to pivot a conversation. But am I being intentional to go and see somebody for no other reason? I'm just going to go talk to them today. We're not. Jim, remember what Jim told us about? There's this guy that would go out and walk his dog every day, told his wife, hey, when you see him, it's time to walk the dog. He was out there being intentional every day to go share the gospel with this guy. Every single day. But what happened to that? Not Jim, but to us. I mean, what happened to that mindset? We don't have it anymore. We've lost it because we're just comfortable. We're just comfortable. What do churches do when the air conditioner quits working? They cancel service. Right? Listen, I love air conditioning. There are a few things in my life that I would pay any amount of money to have, and it is air conditioning. Like, that's just one of them. But the thing is, is we're just so soft. So you take that mindset, and you apply it to your walk with the Lord, and what happens? You begin to take everything for granted. One church is like another church. It's just this big hodgepodge of Christianity. When we look at 2 Timothy 3, it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, meaning that God Himself moved upon man to write down everything that we call Scripture for four reasons. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Why? So that we can be thoroughly equipped. For the good works the Lord has put upon us. But we have taken that concept and we're like, oh, that's cute and all of that. We don't do anything with it. We've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talking about spiritual gifts. Now look at this, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another the different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. And why are they distributed to each one individually as He wills? Because it's for the good of the body. And what is good for the body? Growth. Good for the body of Christ is taking these gifts to grow the body of Christ. When something is young and it is not growing, what do we do? We seek intervention because something is obviously wrong. Right? The question, I am not talking about this church. But the question is the metrics that we have used to measure whether a church is growing or not, did they come from Scripture? And the answer is no. There are two things that make a church healthy in America today. One, money. How are you doing financially? And two, attendance. Did you know that both of those can be right on paper and be wrong in the eyes of the Lord? That's the problem we have. Is the metric we use to measure things aren't necessarily the metrics that God uses. Because we can entertain people, we can get people to show up, we can put on these big events and host them, have concerts and get thousands of people, and you know what will happen? We'll feel really good about ourselves. The problem is, are we give, using what God has given us to grow the body? He said that Scripture, number one, is, is, is first and foremost. Then he gets into these gifts. This is Paul speaking. They're given for the body. Now, we've begun to look at this, and we're going to break this down a little bit more today. We lump these in to, to basically three groupings. The first one being the, the revelatory gifts. The words of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits. The second one, the power gifts. Faith, miracles, and gifts of healing. And the last part of the vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Now, who lumped these together like this? I did. People that have taught me did. Did God. No, is it, is it what we've seen is that there's a lot of bleed over. We can't compartmentalize these things in just the way and say, oh, you know, this is the word of wisdom and this is the word of knowledge because it, it, like, it, it intermingles, it bleeds. But what we know is that they are meant to work cohesively together as a unit. Remember when we talked about the armor of God? They work together as a unit. Take away one piece, you got a problem. Do you have the full armor of God if you're missing the shield, if you're missing the belt? No. So are you properly equipped? No. These gifts should come together to work cohesively in a body to do what? To grow. We grow together when we come in. It's the concept that Moses talked about, the coming in and the going out. The coming in was to, to come and be refreshed, to be rejuvenated, to learn, to get stretched, and then they would go back out and continue upon the work that they had to do. That is the concept that we have when we come together. But for us today, what do we do? We come in, we put in our time, we worship the Lord, and then we go about our week. That's why in statistics they talk about on a Sunday morning, whatever your, your attendance is, you can expect about 20% on a midweek service. And if you have prayer, it's 5% or less. Now why is that? That's an American number. But you take that number to El Salvador or the Philippines, it's a whole different number, right? It might be less, but there's a whole lot of people going. Why? Because they got nothing else. 
You see, they're not distracted by the cares of this world because their world sucks. That's just the reality of it. It's, we've got it good here. Too good. Sometimes a shake-up is a good thing. So let's talk about these gifts. We've gone through them. We've talked about the revelatory gifts, the words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Understanding how God has used those, given those to you, that you have the wisdom to act in a situation, the knowledge that perhaps something that God reveals about an individual, about a situation, whatever, and the discerning of spirits. What is working behind that? We went through all of that. And then you've got the power gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of miracles, the gifts of healing, plural. Because you've got the gifts of healing and then you've got the believers will lay hands on the sick. You've got two different things that are going on. We showed you an example of scripture that are my opinion of where maybe these things are going on. Where, where Peter looks at this man that's sitting there asking for money. He stares at him intently and says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Paul doing the same kind of stuff. These are interesting things to me. But then we got into these vocal gifts. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. We talked about the first two last week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he indeed interprets that the church may receive edification. So now what did we just read? We talked about the concept of what? Being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then we watch in Acts 2 and Acts 8 and Acts 9 and all of these other examples in Acts where they began to pray in tongues. But there's a distinguishing between, in, in 1 Corinthians 14 between the gift of tongues used publicly in a place such as this, followed with interpretation, because Paul goes on this entire dialogue there talking about the difference, and the private use. Here we are talking about the public use. And what we know is that prophecy is here. He says desire spiritual gifts, number one, especially that you prophesy. Because he's talking about the edification of the local body. When you prophesy in the language that you speak, the entire body is edified. We gave an example of that with Alma last week. Remember, she spoke Spanish for us. Wasn't that fun? It was hard for her, too. It's hard to read in English and speak in Spanish, right? But nobody understood what she was saying. Because we don't speak a Espanol. So it does no good. Here he says, desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He puts prophecy up here at the top. And then he says, um, down here later on, it says, even, I, I wish you all spoke with tongues even more than you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. Unless what? It's interpreted. You see, we look today at prophecy and we're like, that's the bee's knees. The end all, be all. We want people to prophesy. We follow these people that call themselves prophet. They put videos out on the internet. We're all excited. They're saying this, that, or the other thing. The question is, is that in the eyes of God is one above the other. Here he's talking specifically about the edification of the church. Is the church edified through prophecy? We'll define that term in a minute. The answer is yes. Is the church edified through speaking in tongues with interpretation that follows? The answer is yes. They're on the same level. So now what we have to do is we've isolated prophecy for to begin this week. What is it and what is it not? Who does it? Do you have to be a prophet? Is a false prophet 
and one who prophesies falsely the same thing. We're going to begin to look at this. It's very important. Because most people, one, are moved by everything they hear online, which is scary. And two, are afraid to step out when God is giving them an unction of some sort because they don't feel like they've reached a certain level. So let's begin to break this down. We're talking about prophecy. The first thing that we know about these spiritual gifts, they have nothing to do with a level of spiritualness, how long you walk with God or anything like that. Because Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 3 that he says, I'd like to speak to you as a grown man, but I have to speak to you as babes in Christ because of all these things. And he goes into this whole thing there. So that tells us that these were not necessarily spiritually mature people. So it has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. It's as the Spirit wills and the fact that they desired these spiritual gifts. So when we look at the word prophecy and what a prophet is, the word prophet comes from a transliteration of the Greek word prophet. It's two words, pro, which means before or forth, and femi, I don't know if I'm saying that right, to declare or speak. So in other words, to speak before. Because what do we think of when we hear prophecy? A prediction and a fulfillment, right? That is how we think. That is how the Greek mindset is, is that if I'm to prophesy something, that I'm going to make a declaration of something, and then we will see God fulfill whatever that thing is, okay? So let me prophesy to you right now, okay? The Spirit of God is speaking to me right in this moment, that Jim Clodfelter, when he leaves this place, will eat lunch today. Thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. I got a witness. Did I or did I not prophesy? Sure. I mean, looking at most of us up in here in the upper row, the two of us together, you can tell that we don't miss lunch very often. All right? But the thing is, is what is he talking about? To speak for. So we think about fulfillment of something being spoken. But in Hebrew, the word prophet comes from this. To announce, to witness, to testify. You see, there's two different mindsets when it comes to prophecy. The Greek mindset is prediction and fulfillment. But the Hebrew mindset is a fulfillment of patterns. They call it an already but not yet fulfillment of prophecy. I'll go into that in more detail next week, but just keep that in the back of your mind. It is to denounce something, to declare it, to be a witness of it. So to prophesy and to be a prophet are not one and the same thing. The prophet is an office held, but to prophesy is completely different, because what are you doing? You are declaring the truth. You are speaking something out. Are you necessarily making a prediction of a future event? Not necessarily. You'll see that here in a minute. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we have a couple of things that are going on here. One, we call this the fivefold ministry. Truthfully, it's five, four because, or I mean the fourfold ministry because pastors that are teachers is really how that reads in the Greek. But apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are given by God, some individuals are what we call a calling, have this gifting to do what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? The body of Christ. They are the saints. So these five groups come together to do one thing. Equip the body for the work of the ministry. Now, let's tie this in with everything that we've been talking about thus far. Look at all the other gifts. What are the point of them? For the edification 
of the body. What is the point of the armor? It's to equip the body. What is the point of Scripture? To equip the body. All of it is coming together as one thing. These are given specifically for that purpose. Now, when we think of prophets, what do we think of? Our mind goes to the Old Testament, doesn't it? We think about all the prophets of old. Here they are. The prophets of the northern kingdom, what they called Israel, was Hosea, Amos, Jonah, and Micah. The prophets of the southern kingdom, which they called Judah, was Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Joel, Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. The prophets during the captivity were Ezekiel and Daniel, and the prophets of the restoration after the fact was Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And, and you know, you can go in and they got major prophets and minor prophets, and we like to put things in cute little boxes so that we can keep track on them. Here's the thing. What made them prophets? How did they become prophets? Does prophet, being a prophet today, differ from that of the Old Testament? You see, we know that they were, because Scripture clearly tells us that they were. But we don't ask the question as, why and how? I like to dig in a little deeper. That's just me. But I like to ask a lot of hard questions. My old pastor, I used to drive the poor guy nuts. He'd always say, he's like, man, you're a thinker. And I'm like, does that mean you're not? Like, that always bothered me. But I like to dig in here a little bit. So what makes somebody a prophet? Let's look at the Old Testament. We're laying the foundation of this idea today because everybody is, is just up in arms with prophecy. It's all we hear about. We talk about end times and stuff like that. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. Talking about a prophet. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying... Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You should not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, what's happening here? Who claimed to be a prophet or a dreamer of dreams? Being associated together, this is Moses writing this. If one arises, and he gives a sign or a wonder. Okay? So that means something is taking place. And he says, let us go after gods, which you have not known, let us serve them. Is that forbidden by the old covenant? Certainly. So this prophet is standing up and declaring that we should chase after the Baals, after the Asherah, whatever. What are they supposed to do? Reject him. Doesn't matter that he claims to be a prophet. It doesn't matter that he claims to be a dreamer of dreams. You reject him based off of what? The knowledge of the covenant. Following me? This is important. Is that any different than today? Absolutely not. If somebody gives a prophecy and says something contrary to Scripture, what are we to do? We're to judge that prophecy and reject that word. So that's what he's getting at here. Okay? God is testing them. Let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear, according to all you desire to the Lord your God and Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them 
a prophet like you from among their brethren. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You should not be afraid of him. So in these two passages, we get a number of qualifications that make somebody a pastor. I think, or excuse me, a prophet. He's one that was taken amongst the brethren. In other words, he's not going to pull somebody from a foreign country. I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about in uh, Judaism at that time. He's not going to bring somebody else and let them be a prophet, okay? He was one of the brethren. He's to speak to his brethren in the name of the Lord. That's why you get the all of the uh, thus saith the Lord type stuff, okay? He may, uh, with his prophecy, show signs and wonders. Is that something that happens? Absolutely. Do we see a false prophet give signs and wonders throughout Scripture? Absolutely. Does Jesus forewarn about false signs and lying wonders? Absolutely. So nothing new going on here. If he prophesies anything contrary to God's law, he is to be rejected in spite of the signs and wonders. Now, this is where it gets hairy, especially today, because you see these things take place. People are making claims about God. God said, God did, whatever, and they're giving signs and wonders, and we're simply allowing the signs and wonders to be the confirmation of it. Okay? Now we're just going through this stuff, some basic stuff today. I'll go in deeper and give some details about that here in the next couple of weeks. But I want you to see this so far. Then, if he predicts the future or a prediction fails to come to pass as he prophesied, he is to be rejected. Don't fear him, because his word was spoken presumptuously. He did not hear from the Lord. Okay? That is the basics of what makes somebody an Old Testament prophet. And truth be told, it hasn't changed much, but we'll get into that more in a minute. The other thing that we have to deal with are some of the terminology, because there is a movement going on right now that wants to associate any of the gifts of the Spirit with New Age type things. They have, they'll talk about it, that the New Age has crept into the church today. They talk about this thing called a Kundalini Spirit, things like that. Listen, has that happened? Sure. But, does that mean is in every case that's what's going on? No. The problem we have is a terminology, terminology issue. Because there are words that we don't like. One of them is to be a seer. But that is a biblical term. And that's what I want to show you. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Verse 29 says, Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed they were written in the book of, the Sam, of Samuel, the seer, the book of Nathan, the prophet, and the book of Gad, the seer, with all his reign in his mind and the events that happened to him, to Israel, and to all the kingdoms of the land. So this term seer, which has become a new age term, is actually a biblical term. What does it mean? They are seeing things from God. So, would you, if you were to create any sort of a counterfeit, counterfeit something that is not real? Of course not. I give the illustration of a $3 bill. There's no such thing as a counterfeit $3 bill. If you go to the gas station with the $3 bill you printed at home, you will immediately be rejected because it's so obvious. You start printing $20 bills and you do a good job of it, you might get away with it for a while. Okay? I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that you possibly could. Why? Because somebody would have to discern between the real and the fake. But it is so obvious, there's no discernment necessary. 
So, just because somebody claims to be a seer in a supernatural way does not mean that they are of God. And just because they claim to be of God does not mean that they are of God. You're to judge and, and reject. Now, let's look at an example. 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to talk about Samuel and his calling of the Lord. His mom wanted a son. She made an oath that if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to the service at the temple. He's going to serve a guy named Eli. There's a whole backstory that goes on here. I'd encourage you to read the first couple chapters. But we're going to pick up uh, basically in the point where God has called Samuel, because I want you to see a few things here. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Okay? The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Now, the word of the Lord. Here's the question. What is that? The word of the Lord, we typically hear, you'll hear somebody say, I have a word from the Lord for you. The word of the Lord. What, what do we think we're talking about? God has spoken to me, and I'm going to convey that. So when they say that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, that means that God was not speaking through his prophets very much. You see it in the time between Malachi and Matthew. He had not spoken very much. No widespread revelation. Verse 2. And it came to pass that at that time, when, while Eli was lying down in this place, and when his eyes began to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out of the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. And so he ran to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Now, why did he get up and do that? He heard his name spoken. He assumed that it was Eli. Now, Eli was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. If you know the backstory, his sons were very wicked. So he's going to be judged by God because of that, because he did not control his children. But he assumed that Eli had called for him. So that tells me that he either heard God speak audibly or Whatever it was, he assumed that it was audible, and he thought it was Eli speaking. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called for me. And he answered, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the, the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So he's getting there, but the word of the Lord has not been revealed to him. We'll come back to that. The Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you did call me. So now he's getting adamant. Quit jacking around. It's late. We're all tired. What do you want? Well, what does he say? Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. So he's finally picking up on it. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. <clears throat> now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, and Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both uh, ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile, and did, he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house should not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. And Eli called Samuel and, and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. He said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me and all the things that he said to you and Samuel told him everything and he hid nothing from him he said it is the Lord let him do what seems good to him so Samuel grew 
and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, there's a couple of things that, are, that often gets overlooked. Number one, God calls Samuel as a prophet. Who chose him? God did. No question. But the part that in here that gets kind of interesting is how did God call him? You see, Samuel's laying in bed, and he hears somebody call for him, right? He gets up, and he assumes it's Eli, and he goes to look. Eli's like, leave me alone. It's not me. Finally, after a couple of times, he realizes this is God speaking to him. So how did God call him? Let's go back and look at verse 10. I want you to see this. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. What did he just say? He stood before him as at other times. Now associate that with he heard the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord stood before him. Did he make an appearance to Samuel? Certainly. Look again down um, at verse... 21. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Did he appear again? There's an appearance being made to him. Do you guys see that? There's something intriguing there because it says that the word of the Lord appeared to him. Now, okay, Samuel's a prophet. We get that. We see that's going on here. He's called. Everybody knows it from Dan to Beersheba. God did not let any of his words fall to the ground. Everything that he said came to be. He was entrenched there. But so, prophet, what does a prophet do? He speaks on behalf of God. So, if there is a prophet, is he only associated with God? The answer to that is no. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And so the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. So Aaron is what? He's the prophet of Moses. Why? He is the mouthpiece of Moses. He is speaking on behalf of Moses. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 14, it says, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you should do. And he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take his rod in your hand with which you shall do signs and wonders. Moses has a prophet in the sense that his brother Aaron was his mouthpiece speaking to the people. You guys see that? What is a prophet's job? To speak the word of the Lord. When we saw with Samuel that God came down and he called him. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 34. Because we know Aaron was the prophet of Moses. Was Moses a prophet? Of course he was. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and wonder which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land, and by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. So was Moses a prophet? Absolutely. And what do we see? Face to face he knew Moses. He was having an appearance before Moses. So Moses being a prophet means what? He was the spokesman of God acting in signs and wonders. Go back to what Deuteronomy says. What did it say? Don't let signs and wonders be the end all be all. 
So here we've got another prophet. We've got Aaron being his prophet. So what does the word prophet mean? What does a prophet do? They speak on behalf of the one in which they represent. Do we see that? Because that's important. Because what do we think of? Prediction and fulfillment. Prophets must simply predict the future. What do we call that in the secular world? Psychics. If you predict the future, you're a psychic. But if you're in the church, you're a prophet. But what does prophet mean? You are a mouthpiece for the one in whom you represent. It's important to catch that. We know that Moses had a face-to-face relationship with God. Did Samuel? He had to have. Right? So these prophets are seeing God. Is that the only one? Look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until uh, the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctify you. I had ordained you a prophet to the nation. Okay, is Jeremiah a prophet? Yep, by default the answer is yes, because he's in the prophets, right? He made the list, congratulations. Who ordained him as a prophet? The word of the Lord, right? Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Question, if it was simply an audible voice, is there any physical side to that? In other words, if I had Isaac up here with me, And I said, I reached out and I touched his mouth. Is there any way that you would assume that it was just a voice in his head? So what do we see? The word of the Lord has called both Samuel and Jeremiah. He has appeared. He is standing there with him. Right? These people are now a mouthpiece for whom? Well, let's figure out who the word of the Lord is. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's the thing. Who is the word of the Lord? It is a title of Jesus. We've read John 1 for so long, and we just assumed like it's just a cute little title. He's the word, the word made flesh. No, he is the one that has appeared to all of the prophets that came before. These are just a few examples, but if you carefully read, that's the thing, carefully read you'll begin to pick up on those nuances so who were they a mouthpiece of jesus he told them on the emmaus road that all that was written in the law and the prophets was about me he began at the law and the prophets and he taught them how it was about him all of it was about him. Acts chapter 3, verse 17, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. 
So repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people yes and all the prophets from samuel and those who follow as many as have spoken have also foretold these days you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which god made with our fathers saying to abraham in you your seed and all your families of the earth shall be blessed to you first god having raised up his servant jesus sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities now i hope you're catching how all of this is tying together You see, all of these in what we read in Deuteronomy was ultimately referencing to Jesus. All the prophets that came before were simply declaring in the way that Messiah would come, what Messiah would do, what he would have to suffer, how he would rise. That way, when the signs and wonders arose, they would recognize the prophet for whom he was. These people were nothing more than a mouthpiece of God declaring the truth of what God had put in their heart. So here's the question, and let's keep this simple. What is a prophet? It is one who speaks for whom he represents. What does Jesus say of us? We are ambassadors. We are to go out and declare the truth of the gospel and to share his message. What does that make us based off of that definition? We're all prophets of the Lord because we are declaring the truth of His Scripture, the truth of what He has done. You see, these prophets, these are not a new thing. We like to put them up on this spectrum of like, man, they're up here. They've got some spiritual power. They're they're just supernaturally gifted. And yes, they are. Don't misunderstand me because there is an office of a prophet. But to prophesy simply means to declare the word of the Lord. That is what we all do. Are there prophets in the New Testament? Absolutely. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John, the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has hears, let him hear. What did John prophesy? One thing. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, whose sandals I'm not worthy to loose. I baptize you with water. But he who is greater than me, it will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with power. See, that's the it from a prediction and fulfillment. But yet he was a mouthpiece of God. He said there was no one greater. He said all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Now we enter into this new kingdom. The thing is, is we've got to change how we look at these. Prophets, 
Prophecy is prediction and fulfillment is very surface level. Prophet simply were the mouthpiece of the one in whom they represent. We see that so far? We'll be building upon this next week, so it's important that we get this. So in that context, all the apostles were prophets. They were declaring the truth of Jesus. All those who came after him, after them, were prophets. You and I today, declaring the truth of Scripture, everything about it, we are declaring the goodness and faithfulness of God. So we think of these prophets being this, this thing, but what did it all center around? All of it centered around the Word of the Lord. That is not a cute title. That is something, that is a distinction about Jesus Himself that John makes abundantly clear that all these prophets witnessed it. I'm excited to get into this a little deeper because we have such a misnomer going on right now about what this is. And we put this up on a level and we talk about these gifts and we love prophecy. we like, man, we got to get prophets in here and let them speak and all that stuff. That's all well and good. We need to focus on the Word. What does the Word say? So let's pray.